Let's go ahead and turn to 1 John. It is toward the back of your Bibles. We're going to spend the next few weeks walking through this book. Um, if you remember, uh, we had spent the last three months walking through 12 books. And so sometimes as a church, we dive through books quickly. And so we kind of did a snapshot of each of those Old Testament minor prophet books. Now we're going to spend some time deep sea diving. We're going to dig through this book. We're going to be here a few weeks. We're only going to look at four verses this morning. So we're going to 1 John chapter 1. We're going to look at the first four verses. Um, the theme of 1 John's found actually in chapter 5 verse 13. Chapter 5 verse 13. If you have a highlighter or a pen, go ahead and underline that verse. 1 John 5, 13, and this is what we read. This is why John wrote this letter in the first place, and why he wrote it is the same reason we are hearing it today. This is the point of this book. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. So is he writing to the church or is he writing to people far from God? He's writing to the church, right? Those who believe. And the Son of God, those who believe in Jesus. So why is he writing to you and to me, those who trust Christ as their Savior? For those that believe that you may know that you have eternal life. That you may know that you have eternal life. And so that is the point of 1 John. And what we're going to see through these next five chapters are ways that you and I can know if we are saved or not. And so we're going to spend some time, because I'm, I'm looking through life, there's some things that you can be confused about. There's some things that you might not need to know. Uh, we were working with a student this past week uh, with chemistry. Fight, you came up and helped us. You left too early. We got to exothermic and endothermic, and Flora and I couldn't agree on it, even after we Googled it, and the student had to guess, and we got the answers back on his test, and, and we all guessed wrong. Right? Cost us a point. But a point on a biology test your junior year is nothing compared to the significance of eternal life. So we don't play games with this. When, he, when John says, I write this to you who believe in the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. When someone asks you, are you saved? It shouldn't be a shrug. It shouldn't be, ah, depends on the day. It's not a 50-50. It can be a clear yes. Or it can be a clear no. And that's what John is going to do here. And so uh, I've got an illustration just to drive this point home. I've got a quarter. All right? I'll put it in one of my hands. I see you're ready. Which hand do you think it's in? All right. Which hand do you think it's in? All right. All right. We got 50-50. Man, this feels like uh, the gender reveal. Between a boy or a girl, nobody knows. If you think it's in my right hand, raise your hand. Balin, all right, a couple. If you think it's in my left hand, raise your hand. If you think it's in my back pocket, raise your hand. All right. It was actually in my left hand, right? Doesn't matter. Nobody's getting the quarter. We weren't sure. But sometimes when it comes to salvation, people are like, I, I don't know. And I don't know about you, but eternity is too wrong to be uncertain. 
So here, there's so many benefits that we get through reading and studying the Word. But from 1 John, one of the benefits that we get, we can know for certain that we know Jesus. And in knowing Jesus, you have salvation. And salvation is eternal life. And it's important that you know that because then you can go after others and help them know that. So I'm going to pray and then we'll dig in and, and listen four verses here. Um, what I'd love to do is through the week, I'd love to hear how you're wrestling with the text. Write four verses down on an index card, spend time reading it, and you'll have it memorized. It's not a difficult text, it's not a long text, but it's a vitally, eternally important text. So let's pray and then we'll get to work. Father, thank you for your word. And Lord, I pray that your spirit moves. Pray that you give us wisdom, open up our eyes to your word, help us apply it to our lives. And help us know for certain whether we have eternal life or not. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Alright, today we're looking, first four verses, I'm going to read them and we'll dig in. Number one, when you read the first three verses, what John is doing is he's making sure we understand who Jesus is. Who Jesus is. Now there's a lot of people that will give you a lot of opinions on who Jesus was. And there's a lot of teaching out there that will say, well, Jesus was this, or Jesus was this, or Jesus would approve this. But the thing is, you and I don't get to give opinions on Jesus because He has showed us exactly who He is. We see the characteristics of Jesus in what He has created, and we know Him by His Word. He has told us exactly who He is. And that is exactly what John is saying because he's dealing with a group of people that said Jesus wasn't a real man. He was a ghost. He was a figment of your imagination. You can't really trust a ghost. And John makes it clear, no, that's not who Jesus is. Jesus is eternally the Son of God who really became man, who excruciatingly, painfully died for us and rose from the grave. And we've seen Him. We've talked to Him. We've touched Him. We know this beyond a shadow of a doubt. You see, John's confidence comes in knowing Jesus. If you're going to live for Christ, go where He leads. It starts with knowing Him. So the question that we have to answer is, do we believe Jesus? And so we read it. Verse 1, That which was from the beginning, speaking of Jesus, one thing that sometimes people forget, or have never thought about, Jesus became man, but he always was God. There was never a moment in history where Jesus was not alive. He is eternally the Son of God. That's what John is saying right there, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen which we have looked upon, which we have touched. What's John trying to say? Hey, Jesus is a historical person. It would be like me trying to explain to you Julianne. She's real. She's this tall. She looks this way. She lives this way. This is her characteristics. None of you guys would guess, well, that's not true. You can see it. You can talk to her. 
Jesus is real. He went around to 500 people before He ascended to the Father. He didn't operate in the shadows. So sometimes I think we blow through this, breeze through, breeze by. Do you believe in Jesus? As He has showed us, He is. We'll keep reading. Verse 2. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it, proclaimed to you eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. Right? Eternally with the Father who became man. That's who Jesus is. So if someone asks you, is Jesus God? Yes. Jesus is fully God. Well, is Jesus man? Yes, he is fully man. Well, you're like, well, that's never happened before. No, I would agree. That has never, ever happened in history. That's why there's only one Savior. Sometimes maybe you have heard of Jesus uh, referred to as the God-man. That's what they're referring to. Fully God, fully man. That's how he's able to pay for sin. That's how his death gives us life. Because he's fully God and fully man. Those are two things you have to know about Jesus. So, I'm going to ask just a little questionnaire, and I just want you to answer them. Right? By yourself, in your head, don't answer out loud. Just some questions that we need to believe about Jesus. Do you believe that He's God? Fully God. Do you believe that He is fully man? Do you believe that Jesus died for your sin? Do you believe He can forgive you of your sin? Do you believe He can save you? Do you believe He can change you? Can He change your desires? Can He change your heart? Can He change the trajectory of your life? Can He change your eternity? Do you believe He was crucified, nailed to the cross? Do you believe that He was buried? Do you believe He rose after three days? Do you believe He ascended to the Father? Do you believe He's interceding for us today? That He is alive, that we do not worship a dead Savior? And do you believe that He's returning? All of those things we know about Jesus from His Word. So what John was doing right here is trying to help the people understand the Jesus I'm getting ready to write to you about, he's real. He's fully God, he's fully man, and in him is eternal life. So you've got to be clear on Jesus. Do you believe Jesus? Now, I work in a classroom with Miss Brewer. She's our English 2 teacher, works with sophomores, and she'll share a story and she'll say it with confidence, and it's hard to know if she's telling the truth or if she just made this up. So last year, she said she was at Kroger. She was at Kroger, and on the loudspeaker, they were giving different Thanksgiving facts. And they're saying, listen, we have plenty of turkeys. They're not the smartest animal. As a matter of fact, as you guys know, on the speaker at Kroger, the lady goes, as you know, when it rains, the way turkeys' face are designed, they look up at the raindrops hitting them on the head, and they will drown. And I heard that, just listening to Miss Brewer, I'm like, I don't know how smart a turkey is. It's not a bright bird, but surely to goodness, it's not going to look up at the rain and drown. So I had to, go, I had to fact check Miss Brewer and come to find out that's not a true statement. But because she heard it at Kroger, she thought it was. And then two weeks ago, she came to class, she goes, hey guys, did you hear about NASA? How they were able to fit another astronaut on their ship? They took 
off the paint on the rocket boosters. They said the paint just made it look good, but it wasn't necessary for flight. And she said the paint, taking that off, provided 600 million extra pounds. And I go, listen, I know paint cans are heavy, but 600 million pounds, and we looked and we come to find out it did save hundreds of pounds, just not hundreds of millions of pounds. 600 pounds was saved so you could fit a couple astronauts on. I thought, man, she says this with such confidence, I don't know if it's true or not. You're going to hear a lot of things about Jesus. And if you go to Google, or if you listen to some teachers, you're going to be led astray. Led astray. If you want to know about Jesus, you go to His Word. We know Jesus because He has told us exactly who He is, what He has done for us, and what He's going to do. The Word of God is our source of authority. You want clarity on Christ? Go to the Word of Christ. Make sure we know who Jesus is. So the question is, do you believe in Jesus? But we don't stop there, right? So believing is the first step. Secondly, then, we proclaim Him. And you see this two times in this early passage, right? John's saying, all right, so this is who Jesus is, eternally God, who we've talked to, we've seen, we've hung out with. He goes, this we proclaim to you. It says, proclaim the eternal life, and then proclaim the word of life. And so what happens is John's not keeping it for himself. Jesus is too good to keep for himself, and he shares it with others. And what happens is as he shares, it brings life. I love what Paul said in 1 Corinthians. If you're taking notes, 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4 says this, For I deliver to you of first importance what I also received. So think about your conversations. How long does it take to get to Jesus? Because for John and for Paul, what they're saying is, hey, I delivered to this to you as of first importance. It's more important than the daily news. It's more important than the forecast. It's more important than updates on sports or grades. This is of first importance. So that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried and that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. I love how Paul goes to the Word to know Jesus. And when he knows about Jesus, he shares, he proclaims, he delivers to others with first importance. Can this be said of us? So I want you to think about your conversations. And when's the last time Jesus has come up? When's the last time you had a conversation about Jesus? And so I, I just want to give you a couple of facts that I've researched. If we're not talking about Jesus, it's not because we're not having conversations. Did you know, on average, now this is an average, and I'm, I'm a little bit worried about averages. Some of us in the room are way low. Some of us are way above this average. On average, we speak 16,000 words a day. 16,000 words a day. On average, we have over 27 conversations a day that last over 10 minutes. 27 conversations lasting over 10 minutes. That's over four and a half hours a day talking. Right? How often do we speak about Jesus? And then, if we go to social media, which is a great platform to communicate, the average user spends 38 minutes a day on Facebook. Do you guys care? Who's on Facebook in here, in the room? Who's on Facebook? Right? 
almost, almost everybody, the average user spends 38 minutes on Facebook. 17 minutes a day are spent on Instagram. Do we have any Instagram followers or whatever? All right, quite a few, quite a few, okay. 61 minutes on TikTok. Any TikTok people? A little bit younger, I haven't made it to TikTok yet. Snapchat. All right. <laughs> we'll show you a little later. So all of this together, you're spending hours a day communicating. I was blown away by some of these stats. There's 500 million Facebook stories that are shared daily. 500 million Facebook stories are shared daily. Many of you have shared multiple stories this past week on Facebook. There's over 2.5 trillion posts on Facebook. Listen, when you start saying trillion, you're losing me. That's a lot of communication, isn't it? 95 million posts and videos are shared on Instagram. There are 330 million monthly active Twitter users, right? Now, that's not huge when you're talking 7 billion people on the planet, but I thought this was interesting. 500 million tweets are sent per day. I wonder how many of those tweets are about Jesus. TikTok, over 100 billion average monthly video views. So I'm not on TikTok. Someone cooler, someone younger is going to have to take the mantle on this thing. But I wonder how many of those videos lift up Jesus. And then with uh, Snapchat, you have 2.1 million snaps every minute. Every minute. Just boom. So, hey, the problem is not that we don't communicate enough. I think it's deeper than that. You want to know why I think most people don't talk about Jesus? Because he doesn't have a hold of their hearts. This past week, it was easy to talk about Dia. i got to be careful because I've called her Mia a couple of times. <laughs> it's bad. I'm trying to, to get all the names right here. Dia. So uh, we found out that we're having girl number four. Her name's going to be Dia. Uh, it's not hard talking about Dia. Right? you got the, the profile picture. It's exciting. It's on your heart, so it comes out your mouth. I think the problem is Jesus is cold in our hearts, which means he's barely coming from our mouths. So, what I'd love for us to do is not an evangelism strategy, it's a heart strategy. You got to spend time with Christ. You got to get into the Word. You got to spend time praying. You got to get together with one another, encouraging each other to pursue Jesus together. And then watch how your affections change. And then as your affections change, watch how your communication change. When Jesus has your heart, he'll be in your conversations. That's what John was saying here. Hey, the whole purpose of knowing Christ is that I can proclaim to you the word of life. Eternal life comes through communicating about Christ. So with that, I, I, I want to encourage you to, to share Jesus, but it, it's not just, hey, talk about it's fall in love with Christ all over again. Maybe it's grown cold in your life, your walk with Christ. Maybe uh, you've fallen away from Christ. But watch what happens when you faithfully communicate Jesus in your conversations. It's amazing how people's lives will be changed. And here's the cool part. It's not based on your fluency. 
or your eloquence. Jesus is powerful. Jesus is the words of eternal life. All you have to do is talk about Him. So, believe in Jesus, proclaim Jesus, and then I want us to see we have fellowship in Jesus. So, here's the cool part. As, as John gets Jesus right, He's eternally God, and, and we've seen Him, we've walked with Him year after year, day after day. We, we've seen Him, we've talked to Him, we've hung out, proclaimed Him. Guess what happens? As that happens, knowing Jesus, proclaiming Jesus, there's fellowship. Now, all of us have examples of fellowship. When you think of fellowship, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Food? People? You guys have any pictures? Any events? 2K night? Right? There's, there's a lot. So, so I'm thinking, and James, you brought up Thanksgiving. Right? The, the church fellowship. The problem is, biblically speaking, John was like, that's not what I'm talking about when we talk about fellowship. So when we look at verse 3, that which you have seen and heard, we proclaim to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. Fellowship with us. And then check out, it doesn't stop there. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. That's a relationship. We have a relationship with the Father. We have a relationship with the Son. And that puts us in relationship with one another. So our fellowship flows from our walk with God. If our walk with God is struggling, our fellowship with one another will struggle. And so I'm, I'm going to try to, to paint a little bit different picture uh, about this fellowship. And, and we've got a lot of biblical pictures, right? The, the biblical picture of a church is a family. A family has a fellowship. Uh, another biblical picture um, that we see of the church is a building made up of living stones. It's a connection. You see it as in relationship with one another. Another picture of the church is a body made up of many different parts. Right? All of those you see fellowship, relationship, partnership. You and I have fellowship together because we are sent on mission by God. And this fellowship grows as we walk together. And so I want us to see an individual responsibility to fellowship, and then I want us to see our community responsibility to fellowship. All right, so individually, our responsibility for fellowship is found in Hebrews 12, 24, and 25. So if you're taking notes, this is a, the responsibility of the individual in regards to fellowship. And I, I love this, the uh, author, Tolkien, of uh, Fellowship of the Ring. He used that word on purpose. And you got a bunch of crazy guys united because of a mission that they were on. That's why it was called fellowship. And he mentions that this is not a, a chummy, hey, let's get appetizers and drinks and a game uh, on the TV. It's an all-in, life-or-death collective venture in the face of great evil and overwhelming opposition. That's what the church is about. But so many times we see our fellowship is let's have a meal together on Thanksgiving, Christmas, and a men's night and a ladies' night. And then we've done our deed of fellowship. That's not what the Bible is talking about. This is what it's talking about when we get to fellowship. Hebrews 10, 24, 25. The responsibility of the individual. Responsibility of myself here. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting the meat together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another 
and all the more as you see the day approaching. And so what you see here in Hebrews, the writer is saying, hey, we've got to gather together, but that's not the primary responsibility. That's the first thing. So as we gather together, you, you came here this morning, obviously to worship Jesus. But there's also a responsibility that we have in regards to fellowship here. Did you catch the first part of this passage in Hebrews? Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. So here's the cool part. Working with Mr. Fight at school. I know how I can encourage him to love and good works when he's working at school on the third floor in the high school. And he knows how to do that for me. We're in each other's lives. We're able to do that. The problem is when we keep people at a distance and we don't know them. And so we need to be in each other's lives so that we can encourage one another for love and good works. What God has prepared for us. We want to spur each other on, encouraging one another. It is a scary thing to be in a fight by yourself when you're outnumbered. And if you know Christ, and if you're living on mission, you have an enemy. And he's scary. And he's powerful, but you're not alone. That's why we have fellowship. I love the, the saying, the football guy will ask, who's got my back? And the team goes, we got your back. That's the church's anthem. You're not alone. Let's get this thing. Let's do it together. And I'm going to be in your life to encourage you to love Christ, to do what He's called you to do. And that is your responsibility as well. Not just the pastor, not just staff, every member of the church. You have the freedom to speak into each other's lives. That's when fellowship happens. And then we see the flip side. What's the responsibility of the community? Hebrews 3, 12 and 13 says this. Hebrews 12, 3, 12 and 13. Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you an evil and unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Now this is the cool part of fellowship, right? When we are dependent on each other, you know, you know when somebody's not around anymore. One of the things that I've hated to see in the church is someone stops showing up and nobody notice. And you see, with COVID-19, it's an easy thing to say, well, they're not here because of that. Do we know it? Did you know that's our responsibility? We go after people. We go after the one when it's lost. So one of our responsibilities is to spur each other on to good works, but then the other thing is to go after someone who's gone. I'd never ever want it to be said of Redemption Church that, well, I went there for a year and stopped going and just kind of fell away. That's part of fellowship. You want to know what happens? I'll use the story. I don't know. I use a lot of sports illustrations, and so I'm sorry if you are not a sports guy. But I think this, this relates. Two weeks ago, we went down to Harrison County, and our long snapper forgot his helmet. So he didn't play in the game, and I'm, you know what, long snappers. Not a very, very important position until, guess what? You need a long snapper. 
And so he's able to throw a football between his legs from here to the back wall. And it's got to be accurate and it's got to be quick or your punt will get blocked. So Coach Nevels looks at me as third and long. He's like, hey, who's our long snapper since so-and-so's out? I'm like, I have no idea. We tried one kid to go back and long snap, and he's over on the sideline practicing snaps, and he's hitting people, and then he's hitting the bleacher off to the side. I'm like, well, he's not our snapper. He's not. Our... You want to know what? A long snapper's not very important until you need them. And I think sometimes we treat people in the church like they're expendable. You don't treat a body part like that. If you've ever hammered anything and you hit a finger, you realize how important every finger is. And when one finger is hurting, your whole body's throbbing. You feel it. That's how we should feel as a church. So one thing that I think I need to grow in and we need to grow in as a family is in regards to fellowship. And I'm not talking about more potluck meals. Although I'm a fan, even though some people hide their black-eyed peas under the table so they get to take them home, I'm a fan. I'm talking about biblical fellowship where, hey, we're getting after it, we're encouraging each other, we're going after one another, and we're pursuing Jesus. And then ultimately, the whole reason, and this is, uh, Camden, this reminds me of your smoothie. Camden has the best ingredients for a smoothie, right? Basically, it's ice cream and ice. Fantastic smoothie. What you put into the smoothie matters, right? The ingredients you put in. You put spinach and ice together, it's still going to be bad. What you put into this thing matters. And so what John is saying here is, hey, as you know Jesus, you believe Him, as you proclaim Him, as you have fellowship together, you want to know what you're going to get as a finished product? Joy. Joy. Look at verse 4. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. In another translation, it says full. You want to know what? I think a lot of people have the wrong view about Jesus and coming to know Him as Lord. I think a lot of people think, man, if I go to church, if I follow Jesus, it's going to rob me of the good times. And yet what happens is, you're putting in ingredients in a blender that you think taste good, like spinach or kale, and you're mixing it up, you're like, oh, this is going to, this is going to, this is it. It's going to be awful. A lot of people are pursuing people as if they're God. A lot of people are pursuing money as if it can deliver. You're never ever going to find joy, lasting joy in any of that. And, and I wrote down just a couple of examples. Andrew's birthday was uh, this past week, October 20th. And one thing that happened on the night he was born was the Reds won the World Series, right? October 20th, 1990, Todd Benzinger makes the catch, they win. How much joy has it been to be a Reds fan since that season? Pretty painful. Pretty painful. Joy doesn't last. Uh, another example, uh, we got a van, a new van in 2013. Now, you can know it's our van by the gray paint that's supposed to be black on the back of it backed into the truck on our trip to Orlando for a wedding, destination wedding, which we were pumped about. It's going to be fantastic. Orlando, yes, that's fun. We'll make it a vacation. Get to marry a couple. Like, this is a win-win. Except when your van runs out of AC on your way to Orlando in the summer. Felt bad for whoever was in the back seat. Muggy, sticky, hot, sweating. 
It's a tough way to travel. Joy doesn't last. Ah, we got a new van, it's dependable. Boom, AC's out. A lot of people are looking for joy in places that will never sustain. I think a lot of people get disgruntled with marriage because they think their lasting joy is found in a spouse. It's not. Obviously, a healthy marriage is joyful, but that can't be the root of your joy. What John is saying is, hey, you want your joy to be complete? It's found in Christ. Tell people about Jesus. Live in relationship with others. Be on mission together. And then watch what happens to your joy. It will go through the roof. You wonder why I think we have so many bitter people in the church? Because they forgot about those first three things. They either don't know Jesus, they're not sharing Christ with anybody, or they're not in fellowship with anybody. Because when you do those three things, what John is saying is your joy will be complete. That's one thing I want to pursue together. So as we dig through this book, let's make sure we're clear on Christ. Let's make sure we're speaking about Jesus. Let's improve in our fellowship. And let's see what happens to our joy. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for Your Son and who we have eternal life. Father, I pray that as a church we learn what it means to walk together, to be on mission together. Help us understand how important each part of the body is. Show us how to have compassion on one another. Show us how to encourage each other. Show us how to love one another and spur each other on for what you have for us. And then, Father, I pray that our joy is found in you. Your word says that in your presence is the fullness of joy, and Lord, that is true. So help us look for first and finally for joy in your son, Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. (laughs)